Hello, everybody, and welcome to the European VC Podcast. I am David, also known as the LP Syndicate Lead. And today I'm joined, as usual, by my dear co-founder, Andreas, the LP Hype. Today, we are welcoming Emma Steele from Ascension VC. Emma is a partner at Ascension's Impact Fund, a seed stage venture fund focused on creating resilient societies by backing impact-driven founders that are driving commercial value and hopefully on their way to become the next impact dragons. Ascension has an established portfolio of more than 180 companies and notable investments led by Emma, including Wagestream, Credit Kudos, and Tembo. And remember, everyone, if you're listening in and love our show, drop us a review, follow the pod, and subscribe at eu.vc. And now, some words from our beloved sponsor. How are you currently reporting to your LPs? Is fund administration taking hours? Are you getting lost in spreadsheet version control? Well, Flow solves all of these issues and more, allowing you to unlock the power of your fund's data by consolidating your work streams onto Flow. Book a demo to learn about Flow's portfolio and fund management features and transaction infrastructure at flow.io forward slash VC. F-L-O-W-W dot I-O forward slash VC. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. This, this is a union of values, of values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting, acting, acting. This show is not investment advice, and the hosts of this episode may be invested in the funds and companies featured. Emma, let's start this thing off with your journey into venture. Would you share that story with us? Absolutely. Well, my journey into venture was very much led by my desire for impact. Um, I I wanted to be UN General Secretary aged 12, probably 12 to 15, um, it's a very and, ambitious goal, by the way. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, it kind of uh, it, it led me to doing um, philosophy, philosophy, politics, economics at uh, at Warwick. I let when I left, uh, I left France to to try and know a little bit more about my second culture and kind of half French, half English. Um, and then did development economics and needed to try and find a career. And to be honest, I fell into banking accidentally. I uh, I needed to repay a master's loan pretty quickly, so took up a graduate graduate scheme at uh, Santander. But I never really forgot the the kind of desire to to advance social change. And yeah, I I, I quit in um, twenty sixteen to to start to think about that. Did a little bit of time uh, doing consulting. Um, for charities to try and make them more financially sustainable. And that's how I started to think about um, impact venture. So for-profit, for-purpose venture models um, as I, well, was led to conclude that actually it was a a more effective way of scaling impact models. I I find find, like super interesting that you you have that experience, you you know, helping charities, as you said, become financial sustainable and how that led you into venture right it, it, it's a funny because and i commented with andreas prior to this recording it's funny because many of the gps that we met we, we we we've had conversations about who's your ideal lp right and, and charities foundations is actually the ideal lp profile that many of us would love to be working with uh, on the long term so i'm just curious to know like 
could you share a bit more light on how working with charities then ends up taking you to venture? Like it's not, it, for me, it's a bit unexpected. And I think for most people in that space, it's not the typical route they take. No. Well, incidentally, actually, a, a few of our LPs are, are, are foundations themselves. And we have this debate all the time because they straddle both worlds. But I, I, I started that job because I think at the time, Big Society Capital, um, who's again one of our main LPs, was was invested in quite a few what you call social investment funds that only invested debt or debt instruments into into asset locked entities. Um, and you know what I found working directly with those charities is that often I'm not saying all the time, but often the the idea to to or the the, the need to get uh, debt was actually driven by the existing business model of the charity being completely unsustainable or highly dependent on lo local authority funding, for example, and they needed to do something completely new and completely different, uh, open up a new yeah. trading avenue and then get investment uh, to to leverage it. So effectively, a lot of the stuff we were doing was putting debt into equity-like business plans. And with, with, with charities and founders of those charities that were very unaware of what it took to, to you know, use, use and plan for free cash flows to repay said debt um, and, and, and kind of a lot of risk attached to that. Um, plus, you know, there, there's in, in the charity world, there's a little bit of a, a, a bad rep for the concept of profit. Um, and I didn't like that. It, did, it doesn't sit well with me and my philosophy of the world. So I started to look into who was doing tech for good, um, investing uh, at, at the very early stages in the UK at the time. And there was not that very many players. There was um, Mustard Seed, uh, Bessel Green Ventures and Ascension wasn't necessarily defined as an impact invest investor at the time, but they had an amazing portfolio. So I started stalking them. Uh, and I think I called outreach to Kieran, who was uh, Ascension at the time, Kieran Hill, and um, that was it. <laughs> I think that's a pretty interesting story and something that we don't hear too often. And I'd love to ask you just, you know, to dive a bit more into that pivotal moment in your life and describe to us how, how it really shaped you as an investor. Yeah, I mean, there's probably two two pivotal moments in my life today you know one was when I, I I chose to to leave France you know with with not much uh, I mean I was I was okay with my vocabulary but my English wasn't that great um and uh, you know little support system to kind of go to to uni and explore new 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 areas new adventures that sort of shaped me probably as as an individual taught me resilience but I guess the the professional pivotal moment is when I decided to live my personal values in my professional life and I decided to take a huge risk in order to be able to to do that which is you know one day I woke up literally what uh, it was it was from from black black to white I woke up in uh, in front of my computer at Santander and decided to leave <laughs> with with uh <laughs> You know, no, no, no plan B. And often now that I, I know a lot of founders and uh, other investors and even friends uh, who are in their mid 30s, they've we've on average all had that kind of moment, I think, in our mid 20s. But I, I was feeling very rebellious at the time when I did that. And, you know, 
I'm, I'm not saying I didn't, I didn't learn anything at, uh, at Santander. I think it really, the time at Santander shaped how I approach things as an investor. I think I, I'm, I'm, uh, I use um, a lot of the sort of breaking down things to first principles uh, and, and, and kind of asking the stupid questions on business trends, having the confidence to kind of um, question very basic um, uh, bones of a, of a problem and business model. Uh, I think was down to to my experience in credit, um, and you know, really using a founder's financial model um, as a way to kind of understand how they how their brain works when it comes to thinking about their growth drivers. Um, I love doing that, and I love using that as a kind of you know base to 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 understand how they see their own their own path to growth. Um, but I think. You know, understanding that you need to juggle um, the unknown um, and 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 take calculated risk when the upside is worth it is some it's something I've done and something I really you know I I, I lead with empathy with empathy now that I that I, um, I I I go on that journey with with founders and I get to know them and uh, I think it's important to really get the underlying personal drivers of why someone do, does something. Um, in the startup space uh, in order to even begin gaining conviction on it. So that's how I start with a founder, probably because of that experience. Uh, I love, I love, I love that story. It really made me reminisce on like the, the you know, the kind of same, similar story, but for myself, like the day that I decided, no, I'm going to, I'm going to have my own thing. I'm going to be my own boss. I'm going to have my own business. I'm going to, I'm going to truly be an entrepreneur rather than, than be working in with or for someone else. Right. And that feeling of, full and known like it's kind of scary but it's also yeah. kind of free right and it also made me think of the day that andres and i decided to start building you it's like it's 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 such a cool thing and i can definitely see why you say that you lead with empathy when you've gone through that right and you're and you're working with with founders i think that's a, that's 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 an amazing story thank you thank you for sharing that emma it made, really made me smile could i ask you a question emma which because leading with empathy on when we're talking about working with founders and then being empathetic because you have that experience yourself um yeah. of, of choosing to go that route of of leaving the leaving the known and secure makes it much easier to deal with founders right yeah i can't help sometimes and you know i know we have our producer listening in on this call <laughs> and she's an employee with ours right uh, but I can't help but think that sometimes when we're leading a company and in every VC all the day, all day long, we're working with our GPs, our partners, and then we're working with our founders who have also all taken that step. But then at the same time, we're managing an organization with people that are, by definition, not yet at a stage where they've chosen to leave their jobs because they're with us, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> how do you, yeah. I always find it difficult to think about how, how do I put myself in the shoes of an employee because part of me wants to take up our employees and say, leave us, goddammit, go build your own thing. <laughs> and another part of me wants to say, well, I want to motivate you inside this world uh, of EUVC. Mm -hmm. But I also want you to, of course, you know, stay with us, right? So, so how do you think about that, Emma, in terms of your own management towards your own team? Uh, I mean, it, 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 you need to look at the individual personalities and, and you know, what, what their strengths and, and, and weaknesses are. Like there are, 
Um, there's actually one of my, my, my one of my very dear colleagues who uh, who I've been working with for over five years, Nico. I always knew he was a, a, a builder at heart in the way he thought, in the way he approached things, in the way he built, you know, some of our uh, some of our own tech stack at Ascension over the years. So I, I knew it, need, it needed to be the case that at some point he would kind of fly off and, and do his own thing. And that's what he's doing. It's actually his last day on Friday. But I am, you know, I, I wanted, I pushed him to do that a little bit um, uh, when he was kind of talking to me about, you know, maybe thinking about doing that. And it's the it's the best possible thing for him. But then there's, you know, other personalities um, where you, you don't necessarily need to be that creator. I'm, I think I am creative in in some ways, but I I know in my heart that I'm more likely to to remain an investor, an enabler of other people's um, uh, passions and visions rather than an operator myself. And I think that's okay, you know. Um, there's there's value in everything. So Emma, I'm really looking forward to our chat today because, you know. I'm very excited to hear your your thoughts and, but more importantly, your experience here on talking to LPs about impact and returns. And the reason why why I find it so interesting is we we've done a lot of episodes here on around this topic and similar topics. You know, we we have a partnership with with, with Toplink from the World Economic Forum, which led us to talk with a lot of impact focused focused VCs. But you have something of a unique experience here, which is you know you did a little test yourself at a major VC conference earlier this year to effectively test out like different approaches to pitching to LPs about yourself. And I'd love to hear that experience and that story. And more importantly, what are your learnings and how are they relevant for other GPs out there? Yeah. So, you know, we've been fundraising um, towards several different types of LP stakeholders for over 12 months now. You know, we've been talking to foundations, family offices, high net worths, corporates, funder funds, um, and the statement I'm about to make is probably less true towards some types of LPs, more true to, towards others. But uh, we started with with um, actually being quite factual about what the fund was doing, which is that this, the entire theory of change of the fund is to uh, invest in tech-enabled solutions that tackle social inequality. Um, however, although some, some LPs resonate with that, Foundations will take will tend to 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 resonate with that mission. Um, it, uh, it it is more difficult to convey the excitement and the sort of emotional empathy that some LPs need in order to go on a journey with you. And you know, family offices actually, uh, or more often, tend to be that 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 type of state stakeholder. But to be honest, fund the funds as well, even more more formal financial institutions and. and I, I've, I've pivoted a little bit to um, being more positive in the way um, I, I, I pitch the fund, which is actually the fund, what, what the fund is doing is creating more resilient societies. And not only um, will LPs resonate more with this, but they actually stop questioning um, as much whether there is a trade-off between financial returns and impact when I talk about it that way rather than um, talking about it in terms of social inequalities. Yeah. And potentially it's less politically charged. There's less, you know, fewer issues attached to it, or maybe they can think, their imagination uh, can, can, can think about the kind of the, the, the solutions out there with the, with the second part. 
you said that mm, it's probably a bit different profiles that resonate. And then you, you th ended up also saying, well, actually, the more professional investors, the fund of funds do actually also resonate more with this kind of, you know, messaging. But I, I'd be curious both to hear, let's start with the messaging part and, and, and ask you the question, where do you see the, the, the lines really differ or, or the, the reactions differ? Are there profiles that are clearly more in the in the give me the numbers, then let's talk story afterwards, <laughs> and and yeah. those were, that are completely in the other, or is it more context wise? Because I think there's also a bit of a difference between are you sending over a deck and a, and a blurb, or are you actually at a dinner party trying to give someone the rundown of your fund? Uh, there yeah. is probably better to tell the story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it 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 always starts, whether it's a formal process with a fund of fund, a foundation, uh, it, it always starts with with an individual being the champion, even if, especially if it's an individual in a wider organization, they need to be enabled to be the champion for your, for your fund internally. So there's, you know, a, there's, there's um, actually a, a lot more conviction building needed, even at the fund of fund level, I think, because there's a lot more kind of defense and and internal committees to go through so that's one thing to think about but i i think it all the differences depend on what buckets the investment is made of even for foundations um the, the foundations that have backed us there have been several buckets some have been uh, actually converting some of their grant programs to impact investing in which case we barely talked about returns the others were actually allocating a part of their main endowment to to impact um in which case actually they're extremely risk averse so return was the first um was the first conversation um and it, it's it's very similar to for 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 fund of fund and probably more institutionalized um family offices they either have an impact an impact allocation which has a specific um, I guess, you know, return um, target for them, um, or they're experimenting. So you're, you know, in general, we're, we're, although we are targeting venture returns, the way people see us is in a bucket, and we have to be able to, to fit that bucket. So the story needs to go with our bucket and, and uh, create that, that imagination for people. It's, fun, it's funny that you bring that up and also you know, the, the beginning of the story that you started sharing. Like it's it's just thinking about buckets and, and kind of the biases and whatnot that we have. And it's it, I always find it funny that impact is oftentimes like people's minds goes to to there's there's kind of a an assumption around returns when you hear, hear the word impact. And I'm I'm yeah. curious if you have any thoughts or reflections on why that's the case. Uh is it is it is it because we're doing something wrong as an industry? Is it because, you know, historically X, Y, Z? I don't know. Super curious to hear to hear that. Uh, and then after, I, I want to deep dive into a completely side topic about impact and whatnot. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, the, the, the concept of impact was, is very closely linked to philanthropy in, in people's mind. And philanthropy is giving money away. How can you even fathom returns? Um, but, uh, you know, part, part of the issue is that you don't, you don't question or you don't try to understand, or one doesn't try to understand the, the, the underlying thesis or, or theory of change or what you're trying to actually do within the impact space. Impact is just a lens. It's an intent. 
you know, it's 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 doing investing with with a specific intent or a specific lens, and yeah. the journey I take people on is actually through this intent, um, through this lens, you can actually be driving more commercial value down the line. Um, some people are easy to convince on that and others it's just not their philosophy but i'm a big 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 believer in inclusive capitalism you know and that's that's what you know that's why i think where i think you can affect change i'm very curious about a thing because the only firms we ever hear talking about theory of change are impact yes and (laughs) yeah it's a bit interesting because I, I can't help but think that that all the other firms also have, a, if not a theory of change, then at least a theory and how you've then fit into that change. <laughs> uh, but but it, you have a thesis around what's the future going to look like. And for that reason, okay, I have a theory. We had Facebook. I think that we're going to need one that's focused on images. For that reason, I'm going to invest in things like Pinterest and Instagram and whatnot. To put it very easily, right? But yeah, I yeah. actually think that that's very much a theory of change, and I think it's a very powerful mindset to 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 be using towards LPs. I'm curious to hear yeah. your mindset around this. Yeah, I mean, what I've what I've done since since starting our our, our first impact fund is always try and align any impact related framework we had. Uh, going on with 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 our investment strategy, align it completely with our commercial, with our, with our with our um, kind of commercial investment strategy. I.e., the theory of change is as much uh, of a view of the world and what we want to achieve from a kind of social impact perspective, but actually what kind of value we can create for our um, investors down the line and and how. Um, and I think it's that alignment that isn't necessarily always possible, but is the is where I think we in, impact investors demonstrate their value rather than you know backing um, more generic thematic funds that happen to do you know that happen to have invested in impact driven companies. I think the value comes from again that intent uh, around what you're trying to what you're trying to achieve from a commercial and impact perspective hand in hand. So I have, uh, we're talking about a bit LP and, 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 and GPLP relations, obviously the topic we love the most at UVC. And I'm hoping to get you in a tiny bit of trouble, Emma, by asking, <laughs> asking this question, just because I find it a somewhat interesting topic as well, which is, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of capital geared more towards um, impact, climate, sustainability these days than there was like five years ago, whatever. Yeah. But a lot of that money, mostly institutional money, also comes with a lot of, I'm not going to call it red tape because it's not red tape, but like reporting requirements and like views of how you measure impact and et cetera, et cetera. And I've always thought like in in early stage investing, so pre-seed and seed, obviously, like the model, and and we know it because that's the parallel, the model is that most of these companies will fail. Most of these companies will die. So why the hell do you want to measure impact knowingly that 60% of this is going to die. And so isn't there a better model? I just, I don't want to get you into trouble, but I kind of want to get into trouble because I'd love to hear your experience of, have you seen LP expectations into how you report on your impact or how you disclose impact just completely misaligned with the venture model and what you guys are trying to build? And what do you think is the way forward? Interesting. I don't think it's misaligned at all, but 
basically what are, what are, what's most valuable to to LPs, even just commercial LPs, is to understand at a portfolio level what's the deal. You know what what's what's my what's my current uh, what's my current TBPI? What's my current cash? And if you're an impact LP, what we provide to you and what's most difficult to achieve actually for generic impact funds is a monetary value of what social impact you've you've managed to create um, uh, out out of a out of the portfolio level. So the KPIs the KPIs that we require our companies to report on help us create a, 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 a sort of quantitative measure of how much we've moved the dial, whether it's um, wages enabled, cost decreased, or health outcomes that have been interpreted into an economic um, a, a outcome. Yeah. Um, and it's that overall portfolio level view that I think is super interesting for LPs and it's dinner party conversations, you know, for, 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 for family offices, not notably. Um, but I think, from my perspective as well, in venture, I find it super interesting to even start to talk about the concept of KPI reporting, impact KPI reporting at the early stages when we talk to founders. Even like, you know, say third conversation, what would a, relation, a typical relationship look like working with us as an investor, working with you as a founder? We will, I will. Um, mention the potential impact KPIs that we might expect them to report on, and I test how much value and how much how much engagement the founders have with that. Um, and and if they tend to be like, oh, that's great, you know, I can I can I can integrate that in uh, my sales in my sales sheet, or I already I already report on that because it's super valuable. Then then that's a proof to me. It's a signal that the 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 scale of the impact is in lockstep with the with the returns of the company and is very valued by the by the founder and i think on the on the failure point it's interesting because a failure financially isn't necessarily a fa- uh, necessarily a failure from an impact perspective and we've had uh, one example recently in our existing fund you know where um, the, pla- the 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 business just ran out of cash wasn't able to to find product market fit quick enough before they run out of cash, but the existing platform was amazing and and um, the engagement was great. It got acquired by um, uh, a company uh, that was uh, you know more uh, more focused on on other audiences. So it was a kind of social inclusion platform that sold into uh, more of a kind of recruitment um, uh, business for yeah. for older age. Um, and you know, the, from a financial perspective, it was nada. But actually, the employees of the of the platform were retained, and it still it still exists and is still scaling um, within that bigger business. VC would probably be one of the uh, businesses where you would say uh, it is in a way a pump and dump scheme in the sense that if a portfolio does take off, then then we're very quick to move on to the next thing. And some would say that we then leave uh, uh, some zombies behind us. This, of course, for an impact fund is probably taken a bit worse by the LPs than in a normal financially purely focused fund. How do you think about that? Have you seen, you know, reflections on the LP side around that? And how do you think about it as a fund yourselves? Because it is, you know, it is a, one of the downsides of, of VC, right? 
Yeah, but you, uh, this is um, potentially a controversial statement, but I think I think <laughs> one may be able to actually limit failure uh, with the right uh, relationship management uh, on 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 portfolio companies. The way we set up ourselves as a fund is that I um, you know I I always think about um, you know fund outcome, how to allocate our time. Uh, in in the best way possible, and yeah, I will tend to think about our investment into founders. I you know I, I sort of emotionally give them uh, 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 kind of uh, two years, you know, eighteen to twenty four months to sort of demonstrate product market fit, jump uh, you know j- jump the hoops, and by that time they should have then received um, inst- a Series A money, in which case our formal role, a formal kind of support can can scale back um and for those for those that are taking more time or potentially needing to go through pivot or experiencing other problems i i really i i think there's a lot of value in that i work very closely with our portfolio director julia and she's kind of an extension of me but she in her way is an emotional defender she she stands for the portfolio and we have we have this kind of healthy tension where she's like we need to allocate time and resources to this this company and this company and this company and and and, and then we we kind of figure out through push and pull how to allocate most of our attention but but in comparison with other funds i agree overall we are just more hands on across the portfolio interesting i i could imagine that it's also something you would expect as an snlp in an impact focused fund Now, Emma, I'd like to give you a shout out to co-investor, an angel or an LP for just being plain out awesome. And of course, also share with us the story behind that awesomeness. Yeah, I'd like to shout out uh, to Big Society Capital, who is um, our anchor LP in our next fund and has been backing us uh, in our in our existing fund as well from the very beginning. Um, they have been... Um, comfortable with allowing us to to test and shift uh, a lot of the um, investment strategy and and really go on a journey with us uh, into the unknown and to 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 really discover what the potential uh, of our of our impact fund had and they've been an unwavering champion of of ascension um, from from the beginning. I think they also really believe in impact as a driver of value and and. Um, for that, I think they're an exceptional LP to have for any any impact impact fund out there. I want to take us into the three biggest learnings from your last ten years of your life, and I want to ask you to first just list the three for us because I love having that, and then we can dive deeper after it. Okay, cool. Um, so number one. Um, is really don't ignore your your gut feeling, but rather unpick it, understand it, and 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 embrace it. Um, number two is um, you you really don't have to like sales, but you just have to keep going and learn to be good at it. Um, and number three is on average, I really believe that it's better to interrupt too much rather than not interrupt enough. When I saw these, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to want to talk about how you unpack your gut feeling, because I think this is a topic that 
given that VC is all about decision-making in the end, it's so important, I think, to be able to make dark decisions, but at the same time, also not just be the guy who walks around and, you know, doesn't really have anything <laughs> to pin down your actual decision on in the end. So so, yeah, so yeah. would you tell us a bit of your method for unpacking your uh, your, your gut feeling? Yeah, I mean, I, d I don't think about decision-making as a kind of separate list of things, of reasons uh, which make up the gut feeling. I think when you build conviction on a founder market business model, you do it as a compounding uh, as a compounding effect through the different interactions that you've had in, in the process of getting to know um, uh, the founder of the business. And I think each interaction reinforces each other. And when you do get um, a, a, a gut feeling, the way, the way what, what, what is, is probably driving that, you have to kind of sit and, and, and think, is, is you know, in, in the past, you may have um, come across a, a, a um, say, a slowness, a slowness in, 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 in um, response, a, a slight defensiveness in, in a certain stance or um, a, a lack of excitement at, at, a, at a certain, um, you know, at a certain statement. And, and it may have uh, resulted in, in, in kind of a, a, a certain path to decision making. And these kind of um, compounding thoughts and processes are registered in you. Uh, and, 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 you know, it, it then helps you to, to build your own intuitive framework um, as to how to, to gain conviction. And I'm, I'm talking here as an early stage investor where there's zero quantitative, very, <laughs> very few quantitative metrics to, to play with. So the entire, the entire point is to, is to believe in the upside, um, story of a, of a problem, uh, of the depth of a problem of the size of the market and to, um, understand and see enough signals around that to de-risk um, that story, and and you know if if those signals through those compounding interactions are more green than orange and red, then you know <laughs> I, I think that that results in in conviction. So where I think that the magic and it, so I'm very much a gut feeling kind of guy, right? Um, and I think that if there's anything that I would have to, you know, because it would be very easy for me to de default to making gut decisions, right? Um, and I yeah. can make a lot of arguments for gut decisions to making a lot of sense. Many of them centered around exactly what you also say. Your gut decision or gut feeling in the end is the summary of all your interactions. And it probably supersedes my ability to think consciously and, and, and objectively and put together a sequence of, of, of learnings. you know. Compared to, you know, it's just a good, very good summary, right? But in the yeah. end, that is where I am today. What happens in, when, you know, with that decision made now and then in the year, if I don't make sure that I formalize that, I'm going to have a very difficult time becoming a better investor in something that has so long lead times as venture. How are you thinking about that? How are you documenting to make sure that you get smarter year on year on year? Yeah, I, I mean, I I actually think that's the that, that unconscious bias is a product of not doing enough of that. For for, for instance, yeah. not doing enough of that unpacking of the of the gut feeling. I think we absolutely have a a, a duty to understand 
and and formulate I'd say put a framework around understanding that 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 gut feeling and and we formally list all of the ones we've taken to IC and um, we we decided not to invest so that's that's one we're formally keeping a record of and tracking you know I've got kind of google alerts on them and everything just to see what's going on with that <laughs> um and then you know for um for our, our next fund with um Jean who's uh, who's my my partner we've we've decided to also build up a, a shadow portfolio for the ones where we have a strong sponsorship for there will be always one of us that will be the sponsor for the deal um we will need to have accountability i.e. um if we if in within one year um a set of decisions um has has you know has led to x negative outcomes in the next year we need to rethink um how how um those investment decisions have made so it's keeping each other accountable um but during during the investment calls we use um uh, a scoring framework which has become a bit clunky so i don't, i need we need to kind of make it more effective but you know we 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 put a score on on market product team um and you know within the team there's there's uh, a lot of subsections on that um and you know that allows to kind of keep a little bit of a of a memory of what our initial thought was alongside notes you know on on uh, on our crm um but i i just there's always i think there's always uh, a case for being more automated and more effective on that at the moment it's a bit clunky <laughs> and now the quick And now Emma it's time for the quick fire round where we ask you three quick answer questions. Okay. What advice would you give your 10 year younger self? So, I would say don't be scared of taking a wrong turn. There is no wrong decisions when you don't know where you're going. I would say your sensitivity is your superpower and don't take your humility as a weakness. It's part of your style and your identity. What are your top tips for emerging VCs across Europe who are fundraising? You won't be surprised by that one, but very regularly rework your vision and your narratives because you rarely get it right first time and you have to test it often with multiple stakeholders. I would say warm introductions sadly probably my, our biggest source of conversion so always try and seek a kind of first or second degree connection to a target even LPs who end up rejecting you or say not now can end up being champions for you so do keep them very close and find people in the space other GPs that are in that fundraising journey with you that you trust What's the most counterintuitive thing you've learned since you've been in venture, Emma? When I started venture, it was profits are overrated. <laughs> the second thing is failure and knowing how to fail and when to fail is good. The third thing is a, a decision made fast with, say, 60% knowledge is better in outcome than a decision made very slow with 90% knowledge. And final thing, your inbox is your biggest enemy. <laughs> And now let's cue the commercial for Superhuman, which Andreas 
yours truly, <laughs> Hype Man, is a very avid user of. If anyone wants a free month, contact me. I'll give it to you. Then I'll get it as well. <laughs> so that is our impromptu promo spot here for uh, a software we love. <laughs> Everyone, thanks a million for joining us uh, for this episode of the European VC. If you enjoyed it, drop us a review, follow the pod, and subscribe at EUVC. As you know, I'm Andreas, the LP hype man, joined by my very own best bestie and co-host, David, the LP syndicate lead. And we thank you so much for tuning in today and can't wait to see you all out there. How are you currently reporting to your LPs? Is fund administration taking hours? Are you getting lost in spreadsheet version control? Well, Flow solves all of these issues and more, allowing you to unlock the power of your fund's data by consolidating your work streams onto Flow. Book a demo to learn about Flow's portfolio and fund management features and transaction infrastructure at flow.io forward slash VC. F-L-O-W-W forward slash VC. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. An alliance. This, this is a union of values, of values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting, acting, acting.